Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. This morning we will continue to go to the book of Psalms, and today I'm going to be in Psalm 58. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you may. We're looking at the series called Playlist. Because the Psalms, there's 150 of them. Can you imagine that? 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, the longest book of the Bible. And I picked a few that are about seeking God. You know, the Psalms are great. They're songs, they're prayers, they contain a lot of wisdom. And quite frankly, they teach us how to talk to God. That's what I love about the Psalms is so many of them are prayers and many of them were songs that were meant to be sung. And they teach us not only about God, but they teach us how to talk to God. And that's why I've called it Playlist. Um, Today we're going to be in Psalm 58. If you're not familiar with that psalm, you will be when we get done. You'll you'll probably go, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. It's going to be one of those uh, uh, chapters in Scripture. But before we get to that, let me say this. Many times, I mean, think about it, we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, many times you turn on the news and you, 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 you scroll on your phone and you see a lot of things that just aren't right in the world. And the cry for justice uh, gets louder and louder and louder. And uh, many times as a Christian, when we encounter injustice, we feel that, you know, God, where are you? Why, why aren't you doing something about it? And many times we can lose perspective until we get in God's presence and realize the big picture. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today is the the big picture. Uh, Let me put it in these terms. You know, many times we see wrong going on and we're like, God, why don't you do something? And we're in the moment. We're in the right here, right now. But God transcends time. He sees everything from beginning to end. And He knows everything. And so we simply don't have that perspective. We can't wrap that around our brain. But let me put it to you like this. Consider the difference between junior high and high school sports. You might go, where are you going with this? Well, just listen to me for a minute. So consider the difference between junior high and high school sports. Some people hit their growth spurt early and some late. And if you're in junior high and you hit your growth spurt fast, you can go, hey, look what I can do. And, you, and you're, 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 you're showing up your peers and you're faster, stronger, you're better. And if you're on the short end of that stick, you might go, man, you know, I don't know if I can make it to high school. You know, can I, can I get there? Will I be able to compete? And it, it all depends on your attitude and your mindset. But here's the thing. We're all on different trajectories, okay? And if you realize that you're on a trajectory at a certain point when the growth spurt kicks in, then you start growing and you see the trajectory. And what I want to say is when it comes to people in this world, there are the righteous and the wicked. And the best way you can discern the difference is look at the trajectory of their life. Look at the direction of their life. Are they moving closer to God or are they moving further away from God? And if you note the trajectory that they're on, you'll notice the direction they're going. And that will tell you a lot about their destination, their decisions, and their character. Well, today we're in Psalm 58. And the Bible scholars call this an imprecatory psalm. That's a big word. What does it mean? 
It simply means that the psalm calls upon God to judge his enemies. Oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to rain down fire today, okay? Uh, this is one of those psalms that says, God, I, I want you to judge your enemies. Now, here's what I want you to realize. When we first read this, we see it through human eyes and we go, man, this guy sounds like he's got an axe to grind. But what I want you to understand is that these psalms call for God's judgment, but they're asking God to do it. They're not doing it. They're asking God to do it. So let's just read the psalm. Let's kind of digest it for a minute, and then we'll look at it. In Psalm 58, it's 11 verses. Uh, it's for the choir director to the tune, Do Not Destroy. And it says, Do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? Do you judge people fairly? No. You practice injustice in your hearts. With your hands, you weigh out violence in the land. The wicked go astray from the womb. Liars wander about from birth. They have venom like the venom of a snake, like the deaf cobra that stops up its ears, that does not listen to the sound of the charmers who skillfully weave spells. God knocked the teeth out of their mouths. Yeah, that's in Scripture, by the way. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. May they vanish like water that flows by. May they aim their blunted arrows like a slug that moves along in slime, like a woman's miscarried child. May they not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or burning, he will slip, sweep them away. The righteous one will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges on earth. I told you it was going to be a doozy. But anyway, I like what Albert Bayless said. He says it well. He says there will come a day when final justice will be rendered and it will not be pretty. Let me say that again. There will come a day when final justice will be rendered and it will not be pretty. I'm talking about judgment day. I'm talking about that appointed time when God will judge the world in righteousness. Now, I'll give you a quick hint. If you go to the last book of the Bible, the very end of your Bible, Revelation, and uh, Revelation 19, almost at the very end of that book, in Revelation 19, let me read a, just about five verses here uh, that describe what that will look like. In Revelation 19, verse 17, uh, John says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Yum, yum. Just trying to get your attention there. Look what it says. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. That would be Christ on the white horse. But the beast was taken prisoner, 
and along with it the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. And both of them, that is the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. That's the great supper of God. Were the wicked or on the menu? I know that sounds gross to us, but it's a picture of what judgment will be on that appointed day when God judged the world in righteousness and truth. And so what am I saying? I'm simply saying that there will come a day when final justice will be rendered and it will not be pretty. Now let's back up from that. Now that we've gotten the picture in our minds, let's kind of talk through this issue of justice from Scripture. Okay? Um, I think it comes down to there are two types of people in this world. It's not, not based on race, not based on gender, not based on socioeconomic status. It's based on one criteria. Do you know the Lord? You either do or you don't. That's it. And the Bible calls it, there are those who are righteous, they know the Lord, and there are those who are wicked. And that's it. There's two kinds of people in this world. I want you to see how old this is, and it runs deep, this idea of justice, uh, that God distinguishes between the righteous and the wicked. Once you go for a moment, we're going to go to the first book of the Bible, then we'll go to the last book of the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 18. I'll set this up for you. So, Genesis chapter 18. One day, Abraham looks and he has three visitors. He recognizes one as the Lord, the two. Two of them are possibly angels. And uh, they come and they appear to Abraham. And he, he's a hospitable host. He says, wait right here. I, I want to I serve you. And so, he gets uh, Sarah busy and they, they, they provide a meal for their guest. And as they're fixing to leave, God says to those with him, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he reveals, uh, as the two angels leave, he tells Abraham, I'm fixing to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, why would Abraham need to know that? Well, what concern of that is Abraham? Well, he had a, he had a nephew named Lot. And Lot lived in Sodom. And so the minute that God says, the outcry that I'm hearing for justice is so great that I'm going to go check it out. And I just might destroy Sodom. And Abraham, his first impulse, his first instinct is, wait a minute, my nephew, my kinfolk, Lot is there. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 18 verse 23. Abraham steps forward and says to the Lord, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Let that sink in for a minute. Wait a minute, God. You're going to destroy that city? What about Lot? What about him? He's righteous. You're just going to sweep the righteous away with the wicked and just call today? Then he says this. He says, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away uh, instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? 
you could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? In other words, God, you can't kill the righteous and the wicked together. That's not right. That's not fair. Will the judge of the earth do what is right? Now, that's bold, isn't it? See, Abraham knew the Lord, and he was full of faith. And when he saw something that didn't make sense, he was bold enough to come to God and go, Wait a minute, God, you, you can't... How are you going to treat the righteous and the wicked alike? How do they get the same treatment when they're different? One knows you and one doesn't. And so he says, won't the judge of the earth do what is right? Well, if you fast forward, I can tell you the rest of the story. Ultimately, Abraham says, what about 40 righteous people? If 40 righteous people are in the city, will you spare it? And he's like, yeah. And Abraham's thinking, boy, that's a wicked place. How about 30 you know, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10. Finally, he gets down to 10. If there's 10 righteous people, will you spare the city? God said, yes. Guess what? There wasn't 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. So you know what the, what the Lord did? He used the angels to say, Lot, you're coming with me. And he took his family and removed them first and then destroyed the city. God distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. Now let's fast forward to the very end of the Bible. Let's go to Revelation again. And in Revelation, let's go to chapter 6. You see, this, this cry for justice in a fallen world has always been deep and strong and it's real. And if you go to Revelation 6, look in verse 9. It says in Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11, when He opened a fifth seal, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, there's, there's seven seals, and he's on the fifth one. He opens the fifth seal of, the, of a scroll. And it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. I wonder how large that group of people really is. When you look at the historical perspective, I mean, Cain killed his brother Abel. That was in the very first family. And you come all the way down the line and you think about all the people that have stood for righteousness, that have stood for the Lord, and they were killed and martyred because of their faith. Okay? And now all of these people that have lost their lives because of their faith in the Lord are now at the altar, and they're crying out to God for justice. They're crying out for judgment. And they say, Lord... You're holy and true. How long until you judge those who live on earth and avenge our blood? I think what we've got to realize is we live in a fallen world and in the, in the backdrop of this is the battle between good and evil and they cannot coexist. In other words, um, um, good is an existential threat to evil. Uh, evil is going to always attack good because if good has its way, then evil would be banished. And so you have this... You have this, I'm talking in abstract terms for now, but you have this, 
this, this clash and this battle that seems to never end. And you go, where are we in that battle as individual Christians and believers? Well, now I would go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. It's a familiar passage that you would know. You might even have seen it uh, on a card or on a plaque. Or you might even have it in your home. You were probably taught it when you were a child. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And the first part of the prayer goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that for a minute. When we pray the way the Lord teaches to, we're recognizing that He is God. He is holy. And He is our Father. And we're asking for His kingdom to come. Okay, there's been kingdoms throughout history. Uh, you can look at the Babylonian kingdom. You can look at the, the Roman Empire. You can look at all the kingdoms of the world. But one day, someday, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to rule and reign forever. And his kingdom will never end. You can bank on that. Okay, his kingdom will never end. It is an unshakable kingdom. And as citizens of heaven, we are now looking to the king who will one day come to earth and he will rule on earth as he does in heaven and his kingdom will never, ever end. And when we pray for his kingdom to come, when we pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, ultimately that means in the background, the noise, the, the, the battle of good and evil, it means that God is going to judge the world in righteousness and truth. And when he looks at all of humanity, I don't care what nationality, I don't care what language, I don't care what color, I don't care what gender, what socioeconomic, I don't care. Throw out all the categories you want. I don't care. The righteous and the wicked. Those that know the Lord and those that don't. That's it. That is it. And, and so we see that as the backdrop for this psalm. And I kind of want you to have that kind of big picture understanding before we dive into the details. So now let's look at the details. How do we pray for God's justice and how do we pray for God's judgment? That's how I would frame the psalm. And the first thing we do is we bring the accusation to the Lord. Look, if you will, in the first five verses. He's speaking truth to power. He says, do you really speak righteousness, you mighty ones? He says, um, <clears throat> do you judge people fairly? You know, we look at leaders today and we go, do they really tell the truth? Or are they really doing the right thing? And then scripture says, no, you practice injustice in your hearts. With your hands, you weigh out violence in the land. Boy, what an image there. The, the injustice comes from the heart. Their heart's not right with God. With their hands, they weigh out violence in the land. When you weigh something out, it's, it's like that uh, level that Danny had just a minute ago. And you're taking time to measure something and make sure it's just exactly so and it's right. When you measure something out, it's deliberate. It's intentional. Okay? And so what he's doing here, he's speaking truth to power, and he's dealing with corruption in the land, and he says, you are intentionally weighing out this violence in the land. You're stirring up strife. 
You're causing division. You're pitting this group against that group. You're doing all these things. And then it makes you go, well, why is it that humanity's like that? I mean, if look at history. The track record, it's there. It's been there. It doesn't, doesn't matter from generation to generation, place to place, the, the corruption. It's because of the fall of man. But you look here, and he says in verse 3, when he talks about the wicked, the wicked go astray from the womb. Liars wander about from birth. Remember, we're, we're fallen creatures. And he says, they have venom like the venom of a snake. In other words, we're dangerous. Like the deaf cobra that stops up its ears, that does not listen to the sound of the charmers who skillfully weave spells. So imagine a snake charmer with his little thing. And I don't know much about snake charmers because I don't like snakes, so I wouldn't be around them that much. You know what I mean? But imagine a snake charmer trying to charm a cobra, and the cobra's just not cooperating. And he's saying, the wicked are like that. You can try to reform them all you want. You can try to do all kinds of things, but because they're a sinner from nature and, and their they're bent is to do what they want and not what God wants, they cannot be tamed, they cannot be controlled or, or, or reformed or anything like that. And so bring your accusation to God. Here's what the psalmist did. He saw what was wrong to the, uh, in, in the world. And he brings this issue before God. And what I want to tell you is when you see injustice, you can go to God and you can talk to him about it. Okay? When, when you want to talk about, well, life's not fair. Yeah, that's right. Life's not fair. You know, it never will be fair on this side of heaven. It won't. As much as we'd like for it to be, but it won't. And so the psalmist teaches us to pray. Bring this accusation to God. Sometimes I've had people say, you know, I, I don't feel like talking to God because I'm mad at him. And I'm like, hey, if you're mad at him, tell him. I think he can handle it. I really do. You remember Jonah? <laughs> remember Jonah who, who God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's over there. And Nineveh said, oh, I'm going over here. And he deliberately disobeyed God, and he went in the opposite direction. And you know the story, the whale, and all that. But ultimately, when God finally got Jonah over there, and he did what God told him to do, he didn't like it because everybody listened to God except for Jonah. And finally, Jonah leaves the city, sits on a hill, is looking down, waiting to see if God's going to destroy the people. And they repented, so God chooses not to destroy the people. And God comes to Jonah, what's wrong? He says, I'm mad. I'm so mad I could die. You know, I heard people talking like that when I was growing up, and I thought, where is that? It's actually in the Bible, you know. I mean, that's, that's Jonah. He was so mad he could die, you know. And yet, God can handle you when you're so mad you can die. I mean, you can go to God. You can tell Him how you feel. You can tell Him what, he, what you think. And I promise you, he, He's God, and He's big enough to handle it, okay? So bring the accusation to God. He's the just judge. He's the one true judge. But then, when it comes to praying for God's judgment, once you bring the accusation to Him, ask Him to intervene. Ask the Lord to intervene. Look at the appeal here in verse 6 through 8. God, knock the teeth out of their mouths. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. May they vanish like water that flows by. May they aim their blunted arrows. Instead of the arrows being sharp, they're blunted. Like a slug that moves along in slime, 
like a woman's miscarried child, may they not see the sun. Now, obviously, this is very poetic, but what is he saying? He's using poetic terms and metaphor to say, look, God, I want you to take these enemies, and I want you to render them ineffective, and I want you to remove them. That's what he's saying. When you, when you take the uh, teeth out of the mouths of a lion, they're no longer a threat. When water just flows by, it's, it's removed. When the arrows are blunted, they're no longer effective. When a slug moves along in its slime, you can see its trail, and then it fades away. And of course, a miscarried child that doesn't see the sun, he's saying, God, I want you to take these enemies and render them ineffective, and remove them. And you know what? God is the one that has the power to do that. He is the one that we go to. God's court is the highest court in the land. I'm reminded of in the New Testament. You remember the first person that was uh, killed was Stephen. And then after Stephen uh, was killed as a Christian for his faith, then when it came to the uh, the apostles and the elders, I think it was James. Uh, um, James, the, he, was, he was killed. And then uh, Herod took Peter into custody. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that the church began to pray for Peter. And what happened? God sent an angel and delivered him out of jail. God has the power to intervene in your situation. Many times we have to bring it to him. And we have to ask Him to do it. And then we got to trust Him to do it in His way and His time. The third and final thing when it comes to praying for God's judgment is to leave the issue in God's hands. You know, that's probably the hardest thing. You know, I've seen people through the years, they come down and they pray. And I love it when people come down and pray. That's why I say from time to time these altars are open. And it's good to come down and pray. Just make sure that when you come down to pray and you give something to God, you don't stand back up, put it in your pocket, and walk back with it. Because sometimes people tend to do that. They tell God how they feel, and then instead of trusting Him with it, they take it and they put it in their pockets and they carry it around and they're still frustrated because they truly haven't given it to God yet. And what I'm telling you is when you leave it in God's hands, you're truly giving God this problem, this situation, this issue, and you're trusting Him to work in it and through it, and the outcome is in His hands, and I'm not worrying about it. When you can say that, God, the outcome's in Your hands, and I'm not worried about it, then you have truly left it in God's hands. Now, let's see what the Scripture says. It's the last three verses of the psalm, verse 9 through 11. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or burning, He will sweep them away. The righteous one will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges on earth. One of these days, all the righteous people that were mistreated and persecuted and tortured and even killed will one day be vindicated in heaven. And so that's probably why they'll wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. What an image, I know. But it shows how good triumphs over evil because of God and because of Christ. There is an anticipation of God's judgment that when God shows up, 
everything changes. And I want to tell you, one of these days, God will show up and everything will change. And that's when you'll say, hey, it was actually worth doing the right thing. And there is a God who judges on earth. It's irony to me that, you know, the Old Testament's the thicker part of our Bible. You read the Old Testament, you get to the very end of it, the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, there's a group of people that were wondering, is it still worth living a godly life? I mean, you look around today and people seem to be doing whatever they want. They come as they please, they go as they please, they do as they please, they say what they want and think, and nobody gives them any, any grief. They seem to be you know, carefree, they do what they want. God, here I am trying to live a, a pure and holy life. What about me? What about me, God? You know, why am, I, why am I putting myself through this? Why am I trying to be so careful to walk down the narrow path when everybody seems to be doing what they want? Does it really matter, God? Have you ever thought that? And in the book of Malachi, it's only four short chapters, but if you read that book, it mentions that there was a book of remembrance. A book of remembrance. And it tells us that God is keeping track of the righteous. And he remembers what you do. And you will not lose your reward. See, it's important for us as people of faith that follow Jesus Christ, it's important for us to realize that in this unfair, fallen, unjust world where things go wrong more than they go right, that if you're a citizen of heaven, if you follow Jesus, that ultimately in the end, not only does he win, but he makes everything right. And people might overlook you now. You might wonder, am I missing out? But ultimately what I want to tell you is God sees, God hears, God knows, God remembers. And he will reward you for every faithful, obedient thing you have done for him. And one of these days, when we get to that appointed day, when God judges the world in truth and righteousness, then his people will say, there is a reward for the righteous and there is a God who judges on earth. Let me tell this story and I will close. Tony Evans tells a good story of a young woman who was caught going 100 miles an hour in a 50 mile per hour speed zone outside a small town. The policeman brings her to court. The judge finds her $100. She's a young girl has only had her driver's license a couple years, and she says, uh, Judge, I don't have $100. She goes, I'm sorry, he said, but you'll have to spend the weekend in jail. You owe the court $100. You may not have the money, but the law is the law, said the judge. She began to cry, and she said, Please, Your Honor, I don't have $100, and I don't want to spend the weekend in jail. And the judge said, I can't change the law. But the young woman begged for mercy over and over. And to the surprise of the bailiff and the policeman, the judge removed his robes, walked down from the bench, stood there by her, looked at the policeman, got out his wallet, and handed the policeman a $100 bill. Then he caught back up behind the bench, put his robe back on, slammed his gavel, and said, young lady, someone has paid your fine. Case dismissed. You're free to go. Do you know what just happened there? 
the judge had to honor the law. He didn't compromise the law. $100 was owed for the crime. The judge stepped down and paid it. Did you know that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me? That's exactly what he did. He came onto this earth. He lived a sinless, righteous, holy life. He lived the life that you and I should live. But he died the death we deserved. He was the one they called a criminal. He was the one they nailed on a cross. And he died for everything that you and I have done wrong. He paid our fine. And one of these days, we're going to meet him as the judge. Everyone will. And at that point, it'll be too late to make a change. With this life, with this moment of opportunity, you have an opportunity to say right now, Lord, I need your mercy. I know I've sinned. I know I've broken your law. And Lord, I'm guilty. And unless you save me, I'm going to have a devil's hell. And so he comes and he pays your fine. And he gives mercy to anyone who comes and trusts him. Will you come to Jesus today? He came and he died and he rose again and he paid it all. He paid it all. But will you come and confess him and say, Lord, I know that I need you in my life. I know I'm a sinner and I know that I need to be saved. And I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me. I believe that he paid my debt. And I'm coming to you right now to receive that gift of righteousness. Not, not because of anything I've done. It's all because of what you've done for me. And if you do, then you can look forward to that judgment day because you know that he paid your fine. And that's what it's all about. You see, there really are only two kinds of people in this world. Those that know God and those that don't. You know, the world wants to magnify all the differences. Can I tell you that one of the things that makes me smile when I think about, you know, the 4th of July, when I think about, you know, our independence as a country, what is it that we are created equal? We are. How are we created equal? Because we're all made by the same God and we're all made in his image. And therefore, he thinks we are worth dying for. He sent Jesus to die for you and you and you and you. Do you know the Lord? It's my prayer that you'll come to know him before it's too late. Don't wait to judgment day. That's like waiting for final exam day to study for a test. It's too late. It's too late. But right now, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Give him your life today. Right now, if God's speaking to you, he's calling you to come to him. Let's all stand. Musicians, if you would come. Ushers, if you would come. We're going to have a time of invitation and response. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time to worship together. Thank you, Father, for this time to hear your word. And Father, I pray that right now, even now, Lord, that you would speak to each and every person. Speak clearly and simply to each and every heart. And Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, then Father, I pray right now, oh God, that they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. Jesus name I pray Amen If our ushers will come and they'll go ahead and collect the um, next step cards and the offering too if you feel led to give I just want to talk to you for a moment When you talk to God when you turn to God it starts with prayer 
And if you've never prayed, it starts with the very first prayer when you cry out to God. You know, you've heard me tell the story, and I'll tell it again, of two people that went to church. Jesus told the story, and one was a publican, and the other one was not. And this religious man, he he's praying to God, God, I do this and I do that. I, I fast and, and I tithe and I do all these things. But the other man is over here and he's broken and he's humble. And he won't even look up to heaven and he beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you see those two men praying in church on Sunday? He said, which one went home justified? To put it in our vernacular, which one is saved? Which one uh, did the Lord hear? And it was the second guy. He was humble and he was broken. He knew who God was. He knew who he was. He was a sinner. And he knew he needed mercy if anything was going to change. And with that simple prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what I call the sinner's prayer of the Bible. It's not just some long wordy thing. It's just the cry of a sinner saying, God, save me. Have mercy on me. If you've never asked the Lord to do that, I beg of you with all my heart, do it today while you still can, while you have time and opportunity. Because if you wait till the appointed judgment day, the opportunity will be gone. We're fixing to sing a hymn. And if God is speaking to your heart today, won't you talk to Him? Won't you pray to Him? Won't you cry out to Him? And then won't you come down and, and let us know? We'd love to celebrate that decision with you. These altars are open if you want to pray. Whatever God leads you to do, won't you do it as we sing? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.